I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi there and welcome to the Stop Club podcast coming to you from the top floor of my Wall Street HQ here in Dublin, Ireland. In this week's episode, we're going to talk about how automation could be the big winner for Tesla the stock we're most excited about that isn't in the My Wall Street app at the moment, and the IPO our analysts are most looking forward to in 2019. So we're going to kick it off this week with some of the news stories that caught our eye over the past fortnight. Maeve, what's happening over Twitter? Something is happening with Twitter where they're testing hiding replies Okay. in an effort to combat breach of policy on the platform. Yeah. So... I'm going to admit something. I do, I'm not able to watch or listen to the Joe Rogan podcast. I don't know if anyone else in this room is, but we'll <laughs> leave it impartial. But a friend of mine heavily recommended that I had a look uh, at one that was broadcast two days ago because Jack Dorsey was on it. Yeah. yeah. And he was joined by one of, I think, the most senior legal people in Twitter. Vidya Gadid is her name, or Vidya Gade, I think is how you pronounce it. Um, and they were getting grilled by Joe Rogan on another lad. Um about Twitter and what happens when someone breaches a policy. So what happens when there's harassment or threats? Um, I think one of the main talking points was there's a very popular news and entertainment website, which I won't name, in the States, who laid a lot of their journalists off recently. Oh. And what happened was... Why can't you name it? Just staying safe. <laughs> Let's stay, all try and guess. future proof. Yeah. We haven't been sued yet. Let's keep going. Um, right. What happened was basically people lost their jobs and there was one or two high profile individuals and they got like tons and tons of tweets with a meme saying uh, learn how to code. So it wasn't the most empathic way to react to someone being laid off. Yeah. Um, but it gets worse than that. Like it gets towards kind of death threats and kind of ugly uh, hmm. harassment. And we all know that Twitter can be a bit of a, a troll-like landscape. Um, so basically what I think Twitter are doing are instead of kind of going really heavy, which they have done, and kind of deplatforming people and looking like the bad guys, they're going to test this feature that lets you hide people's replies. Yeah. So it's nearly a balance between the people who cry free speech when they're taken off Twitter and then obviously the the horrible, horrible stuff we see on Twitter. That's how I think Twitter are positioning it. And I think like lots of people who would be part of the clamorous noise on the platform see it like, the way you just phrased. Yeah. So I think they see it as a fairer tactic. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah. Do we think maybe it's is it going far enough? Twi- Twitter's kind of eternal problem has been just the kind of it's a bit of a wild west sometimes in terms of the things people say and mm. the abuse that's thrown around is it does it go far enough i wonder for twitter this just seems to be the uh, constant question that we seem to face every uh, time we sit in here which is how do you police a platform mm. where that's where all the co- user, uh, content is user generated yeah um i don't know does that hiding replies i mean you still know they're there so you could just not look at your replies if you wanted to <laughs> 
Yeah, okay. trolldom was introduced, I guess, by the internet and has allowed a lot of people to anonymously say whatever they wish. And as you say, Roy, these platforms are struggling. They're all struggling on that balance between leaving it fair and open for anyone to voice an opinion with the, the nasty stuff that inve inevitably bubbles up. Yeah. In fact, we've, we've even seen it in some of um, correspondences that are anonymous into us, you know, through customer support platform yeah yeah people really go in for it on the internet you yeah know? so like yeah yeah i mean rory you're right how, how do you really police it in a, in a rigorous way we, we've we keep talking about governance yeah. in most podcasts now and it is me that brings it up but yeah it's fascinating you know it is though. like the internet is an unstoppable force and yeah. you know there are people out there who i think get quite nasty and it, it can affect people's lives so how yeah. much do we need to, to care about I, it and what do we do yeah That's I mean true. there's that there's like a saying which is like give a man a mask and you'll see his true self I actually think on the internet it's even worse it's like you give someone an anonymity and they actually become the worst version of themselves <laughs> yeah. you know like it's yeah. not they're not just themselves they're just like because they're so anonymous they seem think they can just say anything and get away with it no one's ever going to know yeah. which is probably true but you know why do it yeah. Given the recent problems, though, that other other platforms like YouTube most recently have had with kind of this this type of content going onto their site, um, and like the impact it has on advertising revenue, which is the majority of Twitter's revenue, it's it's going to be really important to see how how kind of clampdowns like this affect affect the the platform. Yeah. And the yeah. stock. And the stock. Yes, yeah. absolutely. There was a kind of news story kicking around a few years ago, a rumor anyway, at least that Disney was looking at buying Twitter. Oh yeah, and, uh, Bob Iger actually said they did look at it for a while, um, but the problem was they were like Disney never wanted to put its name beside something that had so all these problems in it and the, the kind of content that was being generated on it. Yeah. So I think with that in mind, Twitter have taken a lot of steps to try and call out a lot of it. Um, I know yeah, Dorsey did a a tweet interview with Kara Swisher a few weeks ago, and she really took him to town on it. And he did point out a lot of the things that they are trying to do. Um, but trying just, being the operative word I mean, it's yeah. a really hard thing to do though you mean, I like, know but it's you, like we're seeking to we're, what, what, where would you go with it though how, like how do you protect, get that balance between allowing people to express themselves anonymously you can't control the horde yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. the problem is the anonymity of it all like you think about it, freedom of speech, which is something we all value and cherish and the ability to express oneself in whatever way they feel is appropriate is fine. And it was the, the rudiments of that um, of, of the, that part of the Constitution is based on that the speaker will be known. You know, mm -hmm. the face of that person or the, the writing hand of that person will be known. But now, you know, the anonymity of it all has actually prevailed and now people are as you said descending down to places lower than they would behave in in, in a general polite society yeah i mean it's typical of when you give people these these rights freedom of speech or the right to free speech no one really focuses on the responsibilities that come along with it you know, yeah loads of people in the world who don't have that right and maybe people should just be a little more careful with it yeah. So moving on, Rory, I believe you've some news about Tesla that doesn't involve Elon Musk. I know this is brilliant, this is, <laughs> and this was a real eye opener for me because it was, it was kind of the first time I realised in ages that we were talking about Tesla, and it wasn't an Elon Musk related yeah. story. <laughs> um, so, the, so actually, this isn't a brand new story at all. It kind of emerged from a brand new story. So the the new story was that Tesla's closing down all its um, dealerships, uh, so you'll be buying totally online now. Uh, they reckon that they can cut the cost of the cars by about 6% by doing this. They'll still have these really nice galleries where you can go in and look at them and sit in them and look at all the features, but you won't be able to test drive them. So, I mean, they're taking a big risk here on the fact that people will trust them to uh, 
that they'll, they'll like the car that they're getting, I think they can send them back after a few days or a thousand miles or something like that. So if they don't like them, but whatever about that story, this brought up another story, which was that there's a analyst. She's the chief investment officer. Her name's Catherine, which is chief investment officer for uh, something called ARC ETFs. And they are, they make ETFs that are totally focused on companies that disrupt. Okay. So um, the top 10 holdings she has in her ARC Innovations ETF are Tesla, uh, Stratasys, which mm-hmm. um, it used to be a shareholder of, yeah, a 3D printing company, NVIDIA, Square, Twitter's in there, uh, they have the Edit House and CRISPR companies. So they're, they're really into companies that are doing kind of mad stuff and trying to change the way we do things. Um, and their annual return over the past three years has been 24.82%. Which is pretty, pretty good for an ETF. They have crushed the market. Yeah. Absolutely crushed. So, Catherine Wood, obviously a very clever person. Uh, She was on CNBC and she's talking about Tesla and she's put a $4,000 price target on it as a stock. What's Tesla sitting out of the minute? It's about 270 as we speak. Uh, That's an increase of about 15 fold. And this is her, this is the best case scenario, she says. Uh, Or not, it's not even the best case. This is her bull case. Her bear case, which is the worst case scenario, is that the stock's seven hundred dollars. Mm. So that's still threefold mm. your money. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, people always—it's great to come up with these mad price targets. Uh, you always get on TV to talk about them. Yeah. Um, but look, she's she's done very well in the past, uh, and she's making the argument that currently Tesla is in a very low margin business, and that's making and selling cars, and we know it is a low margin business. But that in the future, Tesla will be generating most of its profits from what she calls mobility as a service or mass. So it's a new version of SaaS. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We needed a new one. We need a new one. Uh, So she thinks Tesla in a couple of years will basically just be a massive fleet of autonomous taxis. And they'll be taking a cut of about 30% of every ride that you take. Couldn't agree more. Could not agree more. Tesla is my second biggest holding. It's a 10 bagger for me. Uh, I really hope she's right because it'll be 100 bagger 150 for me. 150 bagger. <laughs> 150 bagger, yeah. Sorry, my, my simple math is broken. Um, and it sat around 20 bucks for the longest of time. And I've followed the story from the early days, I think long before anybody was, it was on the broader radar of the world. And um, I certainly agree with that opinion that their great opportunity is number one, the second car in the driveway. Um, that's their competitor number one and competitor two is the first drive the first car in the driveway so you know if there's a fleet of autonomous cars at that high spec level and a lovely app that accompanies it you know I think whether it's Tesla that gets there or whether it's Uber or one of the other players Mm. I think it is the way of the world that car ownership will ultimately go into decline the biggest risk though really though is regulation then isn't it because obviously a future an autonomous future kind of we seem to be hurdling that way but Mm. you know cars aren't just going to arrive on the street all of a sudden with no drivers. It's it's very much localised thing. It's, it's funny you said that, James, because I also saw a video this week posted on Twitter. <laughs> I don't know. On the highway. Yeah, there was a oh, guy. Yeah. <laughs> this is a, there was a video posted on Twitter, which was a guy in a Tesla. Like, this guy was driving along and he was videoing another guy in a Tesla at 75 miles per hour in yeah. the middle of the motorway and he was sleeping. He yes. Was <laughs> yeah. oh, which my. was deeply worrying. Yes, deeply yeah. worrying. I, yeah. under, I understand the premise here, yeah. guys. I get the concept, but I'm, I'm not on board. So did he buy the Tesla so he could sleep? Or did he sleep <laughs> because he had a Tesla? I, you know, but either way, it's wrong. I mean, obviously, this guy trusts it. He must have had a Tesla for a while and seen yeah. the autopilot work. He must trust it a lot. It's better than when I'm awake. 
And like it was open mouth snoozing. So. Oh yeah, like, he, he was, was out. out. <laughs> open mouth. OEM had started. But I think the big thing about that, Rory, is that it's really it's really moving the focus from Tesla. You know, when people talk about Tesla, it's it's you know the electrical vehicle innovation they talk about primarily, and automate automation often comes second. But this this kind of interview really put puts the automation to the fore for Tesla, which is something we don't often see. Yeah, I mean, and like she, first of all, she is, I think, um, anticipating or assuming that Tesla is going to be the head lead in autonomous vehicles, which I don't know if they are. They've got a lot of competition in that space. There's yeah. Google doing things, there's guys at MIT doing things. Uh, loads of people are trying to get into the autonomous vehicle uh, game. So she's kind of, I think she's saying that they're going to be the number one. Yeah. Which they very well, well might be. Um, but just on the point, she also, this this $4,000 price target says it only includes the cars and taxi network. Okay. So it doesn't include profits from anything else Tesla's doing, and that's the, including their trucks, the drones, the energy storage, or even China. She's totally eliminated China out of this um, price target. So she says it's conservative. <laughs> doesn't sound conservative. <laughs> yeah, well, here's hoping. But anyway, it was, not, it was just nice to uh, listen to her interview and think about Tesla as a business for yeah. once, and not, <laughs> and not the um, the business side of crazy Elon. And not yeah. Elon. What what did he do on Twitter? I know I know we're not trying to talk about Elon, but I saw a picture recently of his face on the oh, Rock. Yeah. Was it the so, Rock? Yeah. Did he do that? I don't think he did. I think someone said it oh, to right. him. It's <laughs> <laughs> more spare time than I thought. Sorry, mate. We have to get Elon in there somewhere. <laughs> Staying quiet this time. Yeah. So next up, we're going to move on to our company we never talk about. Emmett, it's your turn this week, and I believe you're going to talk about a company that's not in the My Wall Street app yeah. at the minute. So not only do we not talk about it, we've never spoken about it. And the company I'm going to talk about is Stitch Fix, okay. um, which is a US business that IPO'd in December 2017. So do you want to just explain what Stitch Fix do a little bit first? Absolutely. Well, to read from their website, the Stitch Fix experience is not merely curated. It's truly personalized to your taste, budget and lifestyle, stylist handpick items for you. So what Stitch Fix actually does is it sells monthly subscription boxes full of fixes which are personal, personalised styled clothing for women, men and kids. And they go on to say that their personal stylists save you time and trouble of selecting clothing and accessories. And then they go on to say many of their clients enjoy the ease and convenience of automatically scheduled shipments that arrive at a frequency of their choosing. So Stitch Fix basically sells clothes in a box, shipped <laughs> to your home. They have about 3 million subscribers to their service. And, okay. and Stitch Fix is a stock that's been on our radar for the longest time, James, Roy and I, and we've discussed it for quite a time. And um, it's also a consistent favorite of our friends in the Motley Fool over in US of A. So we know that the Fool have lauded this stock from the earliest of days and um, we take their analysis very seriously and they're, they're wonderful analysts over there. Yeah. The reason, however, that we were not with the Motley Fool in their belief uh, was a concern that the three of us had around <coughs> their claim that they have built a cutting-edge recommender system. So here at My Wall Street, we've been building a recommender system for several years and know it's easy to say you've done it, but it's very complex to do well. Yeah. So uh, I think it was Rory who raised a point, which was like, and we debated that giants like Nordstrom could do the very same. And they have all the inventory and insights in the world yeah. and can launch a, a clothing service by post. Mm. So we paused, you'll recall, from our multiple conversations. However, 
in the last week, um, I had a meeting with Professor Barry Smith, who is in from University College Dublin and is an advisor to my Wall Street and me personally over the last few years since we it was since I've co-founded a business with John and and Barry is one of the world's leading authorities on recommender systems okay and has advised the biggest businesses and biggest names in the world on on systems that exist in software we all use every day he is an expert's expert and uh, to the point that he is uh, like he testifies in court on expert witness uh, cases in the US and recommender systems he really really knows it and in the course of our conversation which was about my Wall Street and how we're evolving our business here, I asked Barry who has built an impressive, or the most impressive recommender system in recent times. And who did he say? Out of the blue, unprompted, he said Stitch Fix. Okay. Which really arrested me because I didn't expect him to say that. And I think, you recall, James, three of us have debated that, you know, is the claim to having an awesome recommender system just something that you can just say and not actually have? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. a little bit of bluster? Is it an Excel spreadsheet with some smart people mm. walking up and down aisles, you know, figuring out that Emmett only wears blue or, you know, Rory doesn't like cardigans and this kind of <laughs> stuff, you know, so... Hey, <laughs> so um, so Barry elaborated and said like there is a Tinder-esque app that uh, Stitch Fix has built yeah. which um, has its users kind of lying in couches or riding on trains or whatever swiping left on the clothes they dislike and right on the clothes they do like and, and it's gathering up a vast amount of valuable data in a very short time and yeah. it's quite an innovative way of using a tech that the world is used to on their smartphone and you know people like their clothes they like you know swiping and they brought those two things together and built up a giant database of of unpolluted data on the tastes of of users and have built something that i believe from our yeah. conversation is truly unique yeah and very difficult to replicate so um our conversation continued um, um but by the end let's just say i was a believer and and believed so much i invested for the second time uh earlier this week okay uh, with my own uh dollars so so stitch fix won't be the next stock in in our in our next star stock okay it's been chosen and it's a wonderful business uh, i won't be unveiling it today <laughs> however stitch fix is likely to follow soon yeah so i felt it was incongruous for me to buy a stock that isn't in our app but um uh, and that's why i'm talking about it now and yeah. i i have never uh, well at least in 10 years ever bought a stock without declaring it on Twitter. Mm. And um, and this is uh, the declaration and the explanation <laughs> as to why it's not the next stock into our showroom and also why very quickly it became a believer. And I had yeah. to say, you know what, the guys at The Fool are right. The, yeah. the recommender algorithm built by Stitch Fix is a differentiator. And, and Jason Moser and Bill Mann and friends of ours from The Motley Fool said it long before we yeah. said it. But now, you know, having spoken to our own uh, expert in the area, a guy who really, really knows recommender systems. For him to just call on that business from cold, you know, knocked me back because he said this is truly impressive. So it'll definitely remain on the shortlist for now. It's going to remain yeah. on the shortlist for now. Uh, cool. Radio. Okay. So next up we have Jargon Buster, which is the part of the show where we ask our users to send in phrases or um, ways of explaining things in the industry that can be perceived as jargon. And we bust them. Yeah. 
So we have three, one definite piece of jargon and then two other phrasings to kind of work through. So we have three things today. The first up is goodwill and impairment oh, charges. An exciting one. A really exciting <laughs> one. Yeah. yeah. Rory. Okay. <laughs> Can I ask, is this oh, the same sorry, as good stretch. faith? No. no. Oh, okay. oh, it's going to get exciting, man. Totally yeah, Hold on to your seat. Rory has been waiting for so long for someone yes. to ask him this Trap question. He's trembling, look. <laughs> um, goodwill is an item that appears on a company's balance sheet. Uh, usually, as a, it's in fact always as a, a non-current asset, and essentially, is when, when a company acquires another company, they tend to pay a premium on that company. So, let's say the company is worth ten million, and they end up paying thirteen million just to get the deal over the line. There's kind of three million quid that they've paid that they don't have anything to show for. So goodwill is kind of a kind of assumed worth that the company they acquired had, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah. It's just to keep it's just to keep the balance sheet balanced, okay. basically. To keep the um, happy. Yeah. It's an, it's a, you can kind of look at it and go, well, this is all the money you've wasted over the last ten years buying companies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean it, it, it takes in things like you know, is there going to be synergies and things like that that can't really be quantified in dollar amounts. Um, but yeah, it's just it's a it's an accountancy term. Okay. Uh, impairment is uh, this probably came up because of the Kraft Heinz story that happened a few weeks ago, which is when a company has on their balance sheet uh, intangible assets. So in Kraft Heinz's case, they'd valued the Kraft brand and the Oscar Mayer brand at multiple billions of dollars, and having looked at them over the years and seen how they're performing now, they're thinking those. Uh, brands aren't quite as valuable as what they were before. So they've taken an impairment charge, which is a knockoff of their uh, of the value that they thought they had there. Okay. Right. Pretty there clear to me. Yeah. yeah, perfect. Okay. The next one we actually have sent to us by name. So Simon Dempsey, thanks for asking us to explain this. It's not exactly a phrase, but people do ask this a lot, which is, is there a pattern on the best time of day to trade? So is there a time of day to buy or sell that you should have kind of earmarked to go in? Sure. I'll take that one. While there isn't a time you should buy, I think there's a time you should not buy and should not sell. And basically the first half hour of the trading day and the last half hour, I generally would avoid simply because larger amounts of money are flowing in and out of a lot of businesses at that time from orders that might have built up overnight. Um, news that's been digested by the general public from last night will generally make its way in or out of a stock, you know, first thing in the morning. Um, and really, if you are going super long term uh, and you just want to just buy at market rate, which is in the moment, uh, avoiding Fridays as well, because again, money leaves the market on certain Fridays in the year. So if you're going to buy a stock and all things are equal. I personally, uh, I dodge the first half hour. I, I don't bother putting in a market order until after 10 a.m. EST. And uh, same goes for, for sales. And, right. and if you can help it, don't buy out of hours. Oh, absolutely, unless you yeah. use a limit order. Yeah. So you're right, most full service brokers, in fact, almost all brokers are allowed to buy out of hours. And what's happening there is your order is lodging if you like, lodging up on a big system, waiting for the market to open. And in that very first few seconds where orders are fulfilling, um, prices can do wild and wonderful things. Not always, but mm, so happens. if you are putting yeah. out of hours order through your broker to put a, a, a limit in there with it is, is, is prudent. Right. Okay. And we have another for this week, another user called Damien O'Sullivan. Cheers, Damien, sent us this, which is 
basically one of our golden rules here in my Wall Street is to try and become a diversified investor. Yeah. So when you have a diversified portfolio, question mark, what next? So the, the greatest investment minds um, all agree diversification is a very important aspect to get, you know, to, to embed in your investment philosophy. There is no one answer as to how many is the right number of shares. You know, there's some great fund managers who have uh, beaten the market returns with as few as 12 stocks. And then there's others who have had thousands of stocks like Peter Lynch of one up on Wall Street fame. Um, so there, the way I personally would describe it is you diversify to the point where I, I would, you know, we all need kind of rough rules, but I would say most people should aim to have more than 12 stocks in their folio and keep going until they're comfortable. And I think what I mean by that is when you're going over 20, um, the more stocks you add to your folio, the more your portfolio is likely to match the average returns. So you might be better off just owning an ETF. So um, I would I would say somewhere between 12 and 20 stocks is probably a nice place for a retail investor like you and me. And um, when you've built up a portfolio that you're happy to keep an eye on these dozen stocks or so, um, add to the ones, add to your winners, add to the ones you you like the most and, and continue to add money regularly is the most important thing. But I say once you get over 12 shares, I personally generally, I very rarely have owned more than 22 stocks at any one time. I've just learned through just living that that's just too many for me to follow with the level of detail that I that I like myself. That's a big part of it as well too, is having some dry powder, having some money yeah, ready for you is. know when there's pullbacks Absolutely. and stocks you really like. Yeah, you know, being ready to to go in straight away and and add to your position. Yeah, and dollar cost averaging is is a strategy where you at a fixed point every month or quarter yeah. add new money to a stock you already own. Yeah, and uh, the math of it works out that over the long term you're better off by doing that. So yeah. um, I won't dive into that maths equation right now, but effectively adding a little often is better than adding a lot at the start. Yeah. Okay, great. That was Dragon Buster. Now we have elevator pitches. And this week I will be waving a stopwatch. Okay. <laughs> um, this threat is thrown <laughs> around week in, week out. So it's well, elevator. you might elevator. notice that I'm more on the mic this week, yeah. James. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Power, so. say, yeah exactly. Right. <laughs> um, right, so what's happening this week is we're talking about the most anticipated IPOs of the coming year. Mm-hmm. Do we have two or three? We have two. We have two, okay. okay. Eminem Murray? Uh, right yeah. Now. Who wants to go first? How long have I got? You've got 60 seconds what? from when my thumb hits this phone. <laughs> so who's going first? You. All right, okay. One, two, three, go. So I don't know if our B&B is actually going public, but I know they're aiming to go. I'd be ready to be public this year. And um, that was widely reported in TechCrunch and many other publications. So my family and I have been fans and users of Airbnb for the longest time. And I've stayed in about 20 Airbnbs around Europe and the US. My wife has stayed probably in as many as 40 or 50 uh, hosts. And that's basically because she's worked with the company for about five years, uh, which in the scheme of their timeline, means she was one of their earlier employees so a caveat is my household specifically my wife will be a beneficiary of their IPO so I obviously wanted to succeed my opinion on the business and any business is unbiased by my personal ownership so I don't uh, want them to see because they're a, sh- a shareholder but I really believe in the business and the reason I totally believe in Airbnb is that its founders are wonderful they're honest they're driven so Brian Chesky Joe Gebbia and Nate whose surname I can never pronounce have created something utterly wonderful culturally amazing and it's one of my favourites 60 seconds boom 
good. So, uh, <laughs> so why exactly are you really anticipating this IPO? <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, like, uh, can I keep going now that the time is up? <laughs> okay, Rory. Well, um, just before you start, that was one I wanted to do. So uh, I had to choose another one, but uh, drops the mic. Yeah, no, that 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 is what I'm very excited about. But um, I'll talk about another one. Okay. And they haven't actually said we are. No, they haven't. Do, they haven't but they, but you know, they, it's widely reported that they're yeah. getting ready. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to be really boring and go for the one that everyone's expecting, which is Uber. So the reason I'm picking Uber is not because I particularly think it's going to be a good investment, but I do think Uber are one of the few truly disruptive companies in the world. Loads of companies claim that they've, they're disruptors. Uber actually has changed the way we live in a massive, massive way. And in many ways, I think we needed a company like Uber to, to get this far. I think a lot of companies or a lot of uh, businessmen would have done something similar to Uber, gotten into the legal mess of things and gone, OK, we, we need to back down. But they actually kind of went hell for leather on this, knew that they had something really special. And even I remember living in Australia, uh, the government was going to fine the drivers 1,700 quid every time they were caught. And Uber just came in and said, don't worry about it, we'll pay the fines. And so they just kept going and they grabbed market share and now no one can kind of figure out living without them. So the valuation they're looking at it is something in the region of 120 billion which is crazy. Uh, they had revenues of 11.4 billion last year, but lost 2 billion on the bottom line. So really I'm more interested in see how it goes rather than interested in investment, but that's uh, that's the one I'm anticipating. Hefty valuation. Okay. Maybe it's yeah. so much more strict than me at the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I don't know if that's a positive or a negative because you're you're kind of rushing to make your, your pitches, but look, yeah. it is the, the name of the game. And by the way, just to, uh, on that point, if Uber floated with a market cap of 120 billion, just for to help people understand how big that is. That's three times the size of Tesla today. Yeah. It's a big business, you know, yeah. like that is giant and um, not having dived into it yet because there's nothing to dive into really at the moment. I wouldn't go near 120 billion dollar. Oh no, and that's the thing. That's what I'm so excited about is like no one really knows <laughs> it's going to happen. Yeah. Like a lot, yeah. a lot of the valuation is kind of this yeah. idea people have of Uber as this yeah. incredible company, but like. Yeah. It comes down when we see all the the yeah. figures, we'll see what that actually happens. So about two and a half times, I've just looked up Tesla's market caps, forty seven billion. Yeah. Save people right in. So rather than threefold, it's two two and a half yeah. x. What do you think, James? If you were to, I'm, to I'm sure they're both. You know, from a consumer point of view, they're both companies I really really like. Um, it's probably worth pointing out that Uber actually doesn't operate here in Ireland at the moment because mm -hmm. um, of legal stuff. But um, whenever yeah. I I notice myself over in London, whenever yeah. you go over, it's Uber is you all anyways. Yes. Yeah, you it need is, it. Yeah, it is yeah. just I love yeah. it. I love it. But yeah. you need Airbnb now as well. Yeah. Yes. If you want to live your your life a certain way. Yeah, and for sure. Have a certain style of holiday. That's well, right. I yeah. remember there was a great interview with um, uh, Scott Galloway, who I talk about way too much on this podcast. It's almost his podcast at this point. But he was talking <laughs> about uh, Uber and Airbnb and which one he liked more, and he actually said Airbnb should be the more valuable company. Yeah. And the reason he said that is. Like, if we wanted to, we could set up an Uber in Dublin. You know, yeah. all you need in is, is a local network of drivers and a local network of consumers. Yeah. But Airbnb, you, people rarely go to an Airbnb in their own city. So what you need is a global network yeah. of hosts and a global network of consumers. So yeah. they may be able to build that global network. Whereas, you know, yeah. we've seen Canada has their own version of Uber, yes, which yeah. is the main one. You know, just be, by having... A, a local group of people driving cars, you can start an Uber, whereas Airbnb is a lot trickier business. Absolutely. I mean, we buy businesses based on culture and passionate founders who are doing something for the greater good. And Airbnb is doing that, you know, um, 
when you listen to uh, or watch Brian Chesky on, on YouTube or on, on business TV, he, he is an inspirational guy who's doing it because he completely believes in it. If you look at the cultural story of Uber with, you know, Travis Kalanick, and we yeah. won't go there, it, they're two very different stories and they're two great businesses. But if you had to pick one over the other, and if passionate founding CEO who is culturally aligned, I'm glad with you. Us. I'm glad you said that, Emma, because it gives me a chance to try and pronounce the Uber's new CEO's name. Yeah, over to you. <laughs> do you know what? I think that's a good place to wrap. No, no, I can do it. I can do it. I've been practicing. Okay. Dara Karashawi. Very good. Nice. I didn't think you could do it. Like I thought you were prompting no, 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 me. No, 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 no. And he's good. Wrap. I like him. Great. Okay. Great. Right. Well, we're loitering outside the lift after all of <laughs> time governance. So I think we'll wrap. Um, that's Who are you it. picking, Maeve? Oh, do I get to pick as well? Yeah, yeah. I think they're Airbnb, by the way. I didn't um, say it. I thought I was going to just stay kind of impartial on this one. It's the same as last week. I used both. It was yeah. like um, Eventbrite and... Who was the... Oh, Teladoc. Teladoc. Teladoc well, I, yeah. Sorry, yeah, so I own both those stocks. Yeah. I use both here. I had only used Eventbrite. I'm kind of more interested in Airbnb. Yeah. I just want to see what happens next in that story. And to be honest, that was one I was going to pick, so I'm like, yeah. oh, I'll take <laughs> okay. that loss uh, okay. with, in good spirit. <laughs> right, okay, we're going to wrap. That's it from us, and it's that's it from this week's Stock Club. If you have anything that you want us to discuss next, you can send it to us at pod at mywallstreet.com, and the spelling is pod at mywallst.com. There's plenty of stuff in the app for you to check out. There's the recent expert opinion piece that Rory, James and I discussed the last time we talked. The title is Thinking in Bets and the theme is about making intelligent decisions. You can listen to the podcast in the app. We're just checking that you know that. So you'll find it in the featured section of the focus tab. If you like what you hear, we'd really appreciate if you rated, reviewed and shared. And that's about all we've got for this time. So from everyone here, see you in two weeks and happy investing. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.